0: Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with Dave Ramil, host of Locked On Heat. By now, everybody's covered the last couple of episodes of The Last Dance. All the things about the bad boy Pistons, the Jordan rules, of Phil Jackson believing that he was a lion, of a naked Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra waking up to Michael Jordan knocking on their hotel room door. That's all been covered, and it's been covered well. But David, regardless of what you think of the first few episodes... And it does seem to be pretty polarizing so far already. One thing I think we can all agree on is that in the interviews that are central to this whole documentary, Michael Jordan has been magnificent. He's been really, really good. Yeah, I, I didn't expect him to to be so open
1: and frank about everything. Like, I, I suppose you know, having funded this project or at least being the focal point of it, that maybe he was going to be willing to share some of his own private thoughts. But at the same time, he has been with the, the gift of time and, and hindsight still been able to kind of focus on those memories and still be able to deliver them very clearly as far as his feelings at the time like he has not changed and maybe that's the version of Jordan that we best that, that, that fits best is like imagine Jordan still being as passionate, as, hang, as hungry, as ruthless as he's always been even during his playing career so that has not changed over the course
0: of his retirement and look, it, most of the most of the stuff that they've covered, I know the last couple episodes were about Dennis Rodman, but there was a few stories here and there, but it's nothing shocking, right? Even like like even like the the story of him taking a 48-hour vacation and making it, you know, several days long, like doesn't surprise anybody. I don't think we're we've had the moment yet. I don't know if there is this moment, but I don't we haven't had a moment yet that's just been jarring, like oh my god, I can't believe that happened, right? But Jordan – Michael Jordan in in particular has been very candid about even just some of the – and it's been – it's his being candid that's been interesting, like things that happened on the court and him reacting to it. I think about – to me the most interesting – like I know all the Dennis Rodman stuff, but to me the most interesting thing from Sunday's episodes was just his his vitriol and his just like non – like inability to forgive Isaiah Thomas for not shaking his hand in 1991. Like that to me – was the thing that stood out? Like he still can't stand Isaiah Thomas for that. Like he will not forgive him for that. Year, like twenty two years later, longer. Yeah, twenty two years later, no longer than twenty two years later, almost thirty years later. Yeah, he w- he like he just wouldn't let it go. And I just thought like when they hand him the iPad to see like what Isaiah Thomas was saying in response to you he know, the didn't critics care. for not shaking his hand, he was like he was, just, he was like whatever he says it doesn't matter because he's had thirty years to reflect on this. And come up with whatever he's about to say. So I don't care, but I'll watch it.
1: Well, I mean, it's just—it's kind of interesting. Like, obviously, Isaiah is really not affiliated with the league other than as a broadcaster at this point. But at one point, Thomas was an executive for the Knicks. I mean, he's been a head coach, mm-hmm. and now Jordan, as an owner, he—he he is not unwilling, let's say, to burn bridges. Like, he—he he will carry those grudges. He will just be honest and open. I mean, I wonder if this is like impacting his ability to function as an NBA owner governor. It's just like it's interesting that he's just so willing to bear it all and be like, "No, I don't give a damn. I'm just going to say whatever I think about Isaiah Thomas." But, but going back to that point about Thomas, though, is, is it all? Do you think a little bit contrived? Like maybe we don't kind of associate Jordan with those kinds of feelings, but he seems like he's really exaggerating this kind of animosity. Like it could it just be? It's not just the handshake. Obviously, it's the fact that the, the, you know, the Pistons were as physical as they were and that they were the largest obstacle to Jordan actually winning a championship early on in his career. But do you feel like this kind of animosity towards Thomas and Vitriol in particular
0: is somewhat contrived? I think there's obviously going to be some showmanship because this is the, this, Jordan is a central figure to this documentary and he understands that the success of this documentary hinges on him being a really good interview. Um, so there's probably, again, there's some showmanship in front of the camera there, but I wouldn't say that he's faking it. I, I, it wouldn't shock me if him and Isaiah Thomas just, like, don't speak. Like, it just, it, it, I do think that that sort of thing bothered him. And look, it, credit to the, to the filmmakers here. It, it showed you the reason why. Like he worked so hard to get over that, that hump and he went into the locker room and the whole story of like in, in like that great like montage sequence, like that Rocky sequence that they showed of him, you know, putting up two hundred pounds to two hundred and fifty pounds on the bench press and all these things, and then he finally gets over these Detroit Pistons bad boy teams and they won't even shake his hand after. And you could see why that was disappointing. So they do play it up in a way that it felt earned when Michael Jordan was saying that. Um I don't think it is contrived. I think it kind of jives with everything that we know Michael Jordan to be, which is just like you look at his Hall of Fame speech and he just like he holds grudges forever. They just don't go away.
1: No, that's fair. I mean, that that is, you know, that I think that's just partly what has always motivated him is is finding... Reasons to to fuel his hate and, and to keep that as motivation, and I guess that's why he is as uber successful as he's been. Maybe
0: that doesn't work for everybody, but it certainly worked for Jordan. I, I well, be- that's been some of the the reasoning too why he's even doing this now is because he's got some sort of um, angle against LeBron James, basically. Yeah, pure and pettiness, that, right? Hey, it's yeah. He's like, okay, LeBron, like, the you know, as the story goes, he agreed to do the documentary. You know the day LeBron James won the like, you know came back from a three one deficit against the Warriors. Like, that's interesting, right? That is again, it kind of just goes all. It, it's part and parcel with who Michael Jordan we believe him to be. I've got a question though because following, I know that it was covered
1: by our network uh, yesterday following the show, and it's been covered extensively. But there was a, a tweet from Bill Simmons. I don't know if it's even worth bringing up, but he he asked why we're still pretending and i'm paraphrasing here why we're still pretending that dennis rodman is still an interesting character person what's your take on that because i mean i I know it's just simmons kind of poking the bear and trying to
0: remain so it wasn't it wasn't even really bill simmons if people go back and listen to the podcast so in doing you know obviously we're doing this a couple days after all of the instant reaction stuff and so you know, I think our network did a great instant reaction stuff that covers all of the Detroit uh, Bad Boy Pistons teams and everything. It was an hour-long show, but it was a really good right. one. Um, but then, you know, Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo every Monday get on his show and do a similar type thing, right, where they do an instant reaction and, and talk about some other things. And it was actually Ryan Rossillo, the former ESPN radio host, who presented that question to Bill Simmons. And to me, right. I thought Bill Simmons was sort of agreeing with him, you right. know, but it was really Rossillo's theory. It was kind of his – it was his bit. And so I actually was looking and, like, preparing for this show. I saw Bill Simmons was trending. And I was like, oh, what happened? Did, like, they, they get bought right. out by Spotify again or whatever? Like, I don't know. But, um, and so I looked at it, and was like, crushing Bill Simmons for this take. And I was like, it wasn't even his take. Like, look, I'm I'm all for crushing whoever you need to crush. But, like, at least crush the person who actually had the take. Like, and it was Rosillo's take. So, uh, but in general, I, I thought it was a bad take. I thought it was a little, it was, tri- speaking of contrived, Dennis Rodman is interesting. I get, I... The whole thing about, like, okay, yeah, I don't I don't think he's interesting because of the tattoos and the dyeing of the hair and, like, the Barbara Walters, like, asking you, like, what color is your hair now? Take off the hat. Like, that. that's horseshit. <laughs> like, I don't need to... Like, who cares? A guy dyes his hair and has tattoos and he's suddenly interesting? Like, okay. no way. Go to a bar. You'll f- see interesting people all over the place. That's but right. I, I... To me, what's interesting about Dennis Rodman is what was so interesting about that Dennis Rodman documentary was his upbringing was insane. Like, his background, like is just unbelievable. And like that's the stuff to me about Dennis Rodman that it's interesting, the psychological stuff and just like how it manifested itself and just how he reacted to it. And like in that documentary how they went how how it, that storyline of when Scottie Pippen was out, right, for the first 30s, you know, almost 30 games of the season whatever it was. Right. And and Michael Jordan looked at Dennis Rodman and said, "I need you to step up." And then he did. And then right. as soon as Pippen comes back, he goes off the rails. Okay, that to me is interesting. All right, like again, not the nightclubs and the drinking of the kamikazes, like whatever. That's not interesting to me. It's just that's it's the psychological stuff that's interesting to me.
1: Yeah, it's it's just you know, I mean, speaking of motivations, like. I mean, it's hard to pinpoint what was Dennis's motivation throughout his career. Obviously, early on, he was a different personality. Maybe he hadn't cut loose as much, or maybe he wasn't as open about whatever personal demons or issues he might have had. But either way, by the time he got to the Bulls and by the time he was playing that last season with Chicago, I mean, I I think he wanted to see himself as being an intrinsic part, somebody who Michael could rely on as a steady, complementary role player and uh and that's why he embraced that challenge of, of stepping up in scotty's absence so that was that was pretty interesting there i, I just there, there's so much about that documentary that i mean I, I i spoke about this last week that i had already seen him already but just kind of fleshing over these things and going back into the nuances of, of this uh this interaction between these players and everything else it's just been it's really been kind of fascinating to kind of take a step back there and see how these players interact with one another like like jordan ripping teammates uh, like scott burrell and opening up about him and the documentary like like we're seeing this footage like he said 30 years later and i wonder what scott burrell's take on this is like you know being being revealed to be an alcoholic slash guy who parties all the time etc and knowing that his family is watching this like it seemed like it was almost like cringe inducing for me to see michael kind of just say you know what I don't give a damn I'm just gonna
0: rip all of my teammates and whoever the hell I want to can we go back to the Rodman thing really quick because I don't yes what do you think do you think that he's an interesting player
1: I uh I have to be honest with you I feel like it's mostly that he's just tortured like like that's the thing with me that that uh bothers me a little bit about how Rodman's portrayed is like there's a person here who obviously has some kind of psychological trauma that's not being addressed like he I mean that he's masking it completely by the tattoos, piercings and pseudo sexual behavior and everything else. That's just that seems like just one cover up after another without necessarily addressing the issue. And that it manifests somehow into like one of the greatest basketball players of all time is a whole other story, but it's just, that's a Testament to him and his ability. Like who knows if he, maybe if he didn't have those kinds of issues, maybe he wouldn't be the player he was, or maybe the question is whether or not he'd be an even better player. And right. uh, we kind of glossed over this as, Oh, that's just Rodman being a character, but there he was, Contemplating suicide Probably for the first time Maybe not for the last time uh, You know Towards the end of his tenure In Detroit And we're kind of just like Overlooking this
0: That Yes exactly I guess what I was trying to say before The way that he's covered Is not interesting No He is interesting Yes,
1: that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, it's just it's weird that kind of now thirty years later, like he's bloated, his voice is hoarse. Like he's yeah, he's an aged player that's just you know tortured himself and his body to a great degree here, and and somehow he's still like a caricature, and that's how we view him. And there's there's much more to it, like uh, with anybody, you right. know, there's there's depth there that we have not addressed or covered.
0: He, he's treated like a cartoon character, oh, and it's unfortunate because, like you said. At the end of his Detroit Pistons days, he was in a car with a shotgun, ready to pull the trigger, and the only re- reason he didn't, and he will admit this, is because he fell asleep, okay? Right. That, like, that is interesting. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying I take joy in it. It is interesting, though. Like, that is so interesting. If and I so recall... To say,
1: sorry, sorry to interject yeah. here, but if I recall, like... I, I think he he said he claimed later on that he was listening to pearl jam in the car at the time and that's what saved his life is that he wound up finding some solace in the music and he hadn't killed himself at that up to that point and he actually mentioned this to vetter and the band later on eddie vetter the lead singer from pearl jam later on sure. and, and saying that you know that the band saved his life and he was you know a devoted follower of the band from that point forward and, and you know then again of course that he gave him an instant of reflection and then he wound up falling asleep and not pulling the trigger those are i mean those are fascinating stories but also at the same time kind of scary to think that he was at that point almost to the edge of wanting to end his
0: own life so i'm going to do some really good radio here all right and i'm going to look up what was dennis rodman's last year in detroit because now i want to know what album he was listening to what Uh, album he was listening to
1: 93 94 i think because then he was traded to uh san antonio for a season and then the chicago the following season
0: so okay well of course pearl jam being as uh illustrious as they were released an album in 93 and 94 yeah um yield Dennis Rodman's last year in detroit was 1993 which one yield i think it was a, no yield was uh 93 yield was 98 okay so 93 was vitology then Ver, uh, 94 was Vitology Versus was 93 So he's probably uh, listening yes. to Versus or Vitology Is there a, a Go to sleep song Or like a <laughs> you know uh, Don't shoot yourself Song on Versus or Vitology This is good I, This is really good radio Is it not uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to think uh, No Dissident Rearview mirror Oh Elderly no. woman Behind the counter In a small town I mean that's oh, Some Versus I mean, classic. I, I,
1: Hey I'll, For our audience I couldn't give a crap less That's my go to song In karaoke Which one Elderly woman
0: Oh, it's a good one. It is, and and on uh, on vitology. I mean, better man, corduroy. I yeah. mean, Classics. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, it could have been any 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 one of those songs could have saved Dennis as rock. We
1: basically started off ripping Bill Simmons and become Bill Simmons at the same time in the same segment. <laughs> that is powerful radio. Like devoting a whole talk, a whole segment to Bill Simmons being wrong about his take or Racilla being wrong, and then going on into
0: Pearl Jam talk. Classic <laughs> Bill Jam Simmons. Time. Yeah, I mean that's awesome. Bill <laughs> All right, let's stop our uh, bad Bill Simmons. Tom Brady. <laughs> we'll play one's got to go later on, but first, David, a lot of this documentary has been given new life to the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James debate, right? And and look, we we're we're talking during show prep, and you were wondering if a documentary about LeBron or with LeBron as a central figure would be as interesting as this one.
1: I, I, You know, it's just interesting to me because obviously I think LeBron is an interesting person and, you know, obviously much has been uh, spoken about his or written about his upbringing and everything else. But it's almost like the myth of LeBron... Well, that doesn't exist. Like the myth of of Michael is so much greater, building up from his his you know early life in 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 Wilmington, North Carolina, to his tenure in Chapel Hill, and of course to his you know, incredible prowess as a member of the Chicago Bulls. But with with LeBron, you know, there was no window like that. You know, he went straight from high school to college, with the focus being on him. So there was no time for that myth to grow organically. And and so I just. I feel like LeBron is an interesting person, and certainly you could probably make a pretty interesting documentary about his early life. I know one has already been done about his high school career and everything else, but I don't know if the focus could be the same. Like, I wonder whether or not people would gravitate as much towards a a player, a person, a a celebrity, that's already been in the public figure for – in the public eye for so much of his life. Like, and maybe also the fact that he's grown up before our eyes – in an age of social media where we know what he's thinking. Like Michael never had that opportunity to go at Twitter at three o'clock in the morning and say, fuck Isaiah Thomas, you know, or something like that, that would have been (laughs) broken down at length. And we would have been like, huh, now we know clearly how much he hates Isaiah Thomas. It's not the same thing. You know, I I wonder about that.
0: Yeah. Where Michael Jordan had this very, I mean, Michael Jordan was, you know, as great of a player as he was, he was as much of a marketing machine, right, with the Nike stuff. I mean, he was oh, yeah. as much created by that as he was his own talent. It's uh, funny, you when know, I the commercial was Be
1: Like Mike, but we had no idea what Mike was for most of his playing. Like, like his personal feelings and, 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 you know, what drove right. him, we didn't know about that. We saw him as being a good-looking, charming, great player, but never – I don't think we ever knew about his ruthlessness we we talked about him talking you know a lot of i think a lot of people admitted that he was a, a great trash talker but that was just part of the nba at the time nobody knew how exactly cutthroat he was as a teammate until you start to hear stories about him punching steve kerr etc cetera, etc cetera.
0: yeah be like be like mike is where nikes drink gatorade right that's basically what that meant right um I, I, but with LeBron, we know where he stands on a lot of things. I think this yes. last couple of years, he hasn't been as outspoken. Um, specifically, this last season with the China stuff and everything like that, like he kind of just hid behind a bush and just like never came out. But I, it was, you know, the, I think about the Cleveland years with opening up the schools and all these things and what he was doing in Miami with like the Trayvon Martin stuff and um, you know all of his work that he did admirable stuff, but we know where he stands on these things. I mean, getting called out by a president, like, doing all this stuff, like, that, or the the shut up and dribble stuff, like, we know where LeBron James stands on a lot of social issues. I think we pretty much know where he stands when it comes to players in the NBA. Uh, We know who his friends are. I don't know that we necessarily know who he doesn't like. Um, I think there were, earlier in his career, I think we had some hints at players who he didn't like, but I don't know that Let's say you did a, um, let's say you did a documentary on the 2013-14 Miami Heat, which you and I would watch, obviously. But, <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know that LeBron James sitting in a chair, you know, drinking, you know, Don Julio 1400 with a cigar, would be as interesting as Michael Jordan doing that. Like I, I don't like when I, because you're like you're right, like Michael Jordan was just like he hid behind the marketing for so like his entire career. We didn't know what he thought about all this stuff. I feel like with LeBron, we kind of have a running diary of what he's been thinking.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's right, and, and we we've seen it all. Like he's also been somewhat. I mean, LeBron has been somewhat enigmatic in himself as as far as what drives him and when, and things of this sort. But but it kind of manifests much more publicly, I think, than Michael Jordan does. Like, I mean, now it's just the myth of Jordan and everything else that's kind of has played into how we perceive him, you know, kind of working his way up towards greatness and then establishing himself as a champion and then kind of maintaining that strangle over the league that with the exception of him retiring for a season and a half to go play baseball, that he was pretty much the dominant player in the league. There are questions about LeBron's dominance, which makes him a little bit more human, but at the same time, just we know who he is. We know that he's had his foibles. He's not as perfect an image as Michael Jordan, or at least how we perceive Michael Jordan to be.
0: One person who does look really good in this documentary was Phil Jackson. Did you notice that? Like of all the people who don't look like, I think with Michael Jordan, like you said, he kind of goes back and forth. Like he's ripping teammates in front of cameras and all these things. And, and, you know, I think like Jerry Krause is sort of this like polarizing central figure in this whole thing. But yeah, one guy, like there's not a negative thing set up. Like Phil Jackson looks great. Even when it came to the whole, you know, trying to take Doug Collins' job thing. Like, they made him look really good, even in all of that.
1: They uh, they did gloss it over pretty well. And and I've, I've, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's something that's been said about Joran before, too, is that he's never been critical of coaches for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because... Of his upbringing, in North Carolina, the fact that he played for a guy who was as absolute a power as Dean Smith and North Carolina, or something to that effect. But either way, as many coaches as he had early in his career, like Stan Albeck, and of course then you know Doug Collins and Phil Jackson, etc. Like he has never been critical of them, despite the fact that he probably could have been very critical. He probably knew where the bodies were buried, so to speak, and and and. You know jackson does come away kind of cleanly considering the fact that he did wind up taking over his like i don't think that we've seen anything like this as machiavellian as maybe say when uh um jason kidd took over the the milwaukee bucks where he kind of forced his way out of brooklyn and then kind of usurped his way into milwaukee etc uh you know and of course he he wound up you know getting fired eventually but at the same time like we haven't seen that kind of drama play out in today's league as clearly as cleanly and and you know it's interesting that Jordan has never said anything well, about Jackson
0: I I don't I don't know how Machiavellian it was but Nick Nurse taking Dwayne Casey's job was pretty much the same thing I don't was know, it? like, what all the... I don't know. I've never heard I mean,
1: anything like that. I thought that there was already, I, I, like, I, issues with it, like, from the general management... You know, from Usara, who, who here he's a your perspective... Well, it was my...
0: Like, yeah, it was probably Masai that wanted it it's out. Right. But, I, I, okay, I guess I was, I'm playing the results. And I, I, I'm also leaning on a lazy comparison because Nick Nurse, like, idolizes Phil Jackson and he likes to, like, play guitar and wear, you know, baseball hats. And that's, you know, cool, I guess, for a coach. But, but even, but, like...
1: One thing that does stand out, though, and to your point, like, he he does come across as being really effing masterful at manipulating egos and, and balancing them. Like, even to the point yeah. where a, a guy who is maybe somewhat unhinged like Rodman says, no, Phil understood me. We were kind of like simpatico in the sense that he he went through his own thing with drugs and understanding what it's like to, to kind of need your own breathing space to be different and, and, and to even be trumped up that way. Like, for, for Jackson to say, oh, you know, there's a, a tribal a symbol of somebody who walks backwards and that you're 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 just different and that's fine. <laughs> this is great. This is what makes you you and unique. That is, is screams to Dennis Rodman, a guy who needs that kind of vocal support and everything else like that. It's it's just interesting how he's able to play everybody so masterfully and get them to focus on a bigger, larger than life goal, which is something beyond themselves as individuals, but winning as a team.
0: Yeah, and he goes through all, like, doing the yoga and stuff. Like, huh. in the late 90s, like, who else was doing this? Like, nobody. No like Even one. now, like, who's doing this? And, like, you kind of, you just, you, like, even in today's NBA, if you want to, like, do a yoga thing, you kind of do it as, like, a team. And you kind of contract out the responsibility. Hey, we'll bring in this, like, world-famous yoga instructor to, like, come in here on a Tuesday to just break up the monotony of a season in a January. You know, but, like, it didn't seem like that's what he was doing. Like, the Warriors really seem like the, the team most likely to do yoga as a group. I have to say, yeah. I mean, right. Uh, Steve Kerr does do yoga, but I don't think he does it with like. I don't think Draymond Green necessarily cares. Um, That's a good point. I, I, and the. But I think the Phil Jackson stuff's interesting too because you kind of also, the whole documentary has it framed where Michael Jordan, and you know this is partly true, but Michael Jordan was just not going to play again if Phil Jackson left, and they in in doing that cast Jerry Krause as the villain a little bit heavy handedly, I think. Uh, because he says even if you go 82-0, and you're not coming back. And so basically what all this comes – like it's it's painting Phil Jackson in such a positive light. And again, we're not even halfway through the whole documentary, but I'm not really sure what they're going to be able to say about Phil Jackson unless there's something unearthed here during that tenure. But what's interesting to me, again, is that why this documentary is so – the timing of it is good because it gives people like myself and a lot of people who are just too young to really – remember all of the ins and outs and the details of this era of the NBA and what what Michael Jordan was at this time, it kind of is similar for Phil Jackson too because I think we'll remember him for his later days in the Lakers, but a lot of people kind of remember him as a joke for the New York Knicks. Like that was kind of like the bad taste in your mouth, like aftertaste with him um, with trying to oust Carmelo Anthony, which by the way, he was right and it worked, but like all that stuff was like, that was a failed tenure and I think this kind of props him up a little bit more.
1: Yeah, that that's fair. Like, um, you know, seeing his journey kind of going through the ranks. So, you know, that just the being a champion with the Knicks earlier in his playing career and then, you know, working his way up to a coach through Puerto Rico and, and kind of the front lines of coaching and then the CBA and winning with the Albany Patroons and all this. It's just it's an interesting journey. And, and I mean, it makes – it does kind of – well, it kind of makes him a myth in his own way, too. And uh, that is a, an interesting contrast in comparison to Jordan and, and the myth of Michael as well. So it, it has been, a, I'm not so sure a revelation, but certainly it does change the narrative a little bit because you're right about how Jackson is perceived now. Like, he, he botched his tenure with the Knicks so completely. Um, but as a coach, he was probably without peer, especially because he, was, he understood how to manipulate those egos. Now, he needed supreme talent. Like, I mean, no you know the the idea of who sure. the best coach is etc that's a futile one because every coach needs great talent in order to win anything but at the same time part of that talent the flip side to it is always huge ego and and i don't know that anybody has ever done as good a job of kind of balancing and and prompting up those those egos as, as well as jackson did so it's it, uh what, I'm curious now that you brought it up. I forget sometimes how much younger you are, but like seeing all this stuff with Rodman and everything else like that. Like you were pretty young during those early days, and 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 seeing Rodman with the tattoos and the hair and all that. Like, what what was your perspective on on seeing this kind of larger than life figure being an NBA player? Was that weird for you? Or do you remember any of it at all?
0: No, I mean, again, the way that I explain that this era of the Bulls is that like I knew I like as a. I, I knew that they were the best team. I knew Michael Jordan was a superhero, but he was a superhero. Like he was a like I knew like I told you on the last podcast. I think I knew three people like when I was like really young. It was like you know Bill Clinton, Ronald McDonald, and Michael Jordan. And that was it. Like it was just and so he was just like this larger the But I remember Dennis Rodman. I remember thinking Dennis Rodman was like cool. I don't know, but I was also like you know I grew up in South Florida. I was a fan. I was a fan of the Miami Hurricanes. Like I love that suburf subversive rebellious. Thing like that's I I was always drawn to that I like hated Notre Dame like I I didn't like those players like I didn't like that was one of the like the polished you know clean cut you know people that's not the athlete that I that I liked you know I grew up then rooting for Kevin Garnett and and Kobe Bryant and stuff like those were and Stephon Marbury like for whatever reason like those were always the guys I was drawn to Um and so yeah I thought Dennis Rodman was awesome the guy who I didn't care about was Scottie Pippen I was like you're boring go away huh. like but like you and then you watch this documentary. And you're like, oh wow, he was really good. He was picking up Magic Johnson in a way nobody ever could do. Like that was really, like that was cool to me. That to see that kind of happen was interesting. But as like a little kid who just like wanted to play with action figures, like I didn't care about Scottie Pippen. He was a boring guy. Yeah,
1: I I, I could see a lot of that. Like we never really, similar to what we never really saw from Michael. Although the, the myth of Michael obviously became something beyond him the person. But I don't know that we ever really. Knew what drove Scotty either. Like we didn't really know much about his upbringing or anything. He wasn't really that kind. I mean, obviously he had motivation, but the the stress between him and Jerry Krause, the contract issues, the the things that happened to him as far as his his home life and the fact that his father and a brother were paralyzed. I mean, all these kinds of things that we're finding out during the documentary. We really didn't know about that during his playing days, mm-hmm. and as far as the uh, the kind of personality, I don't think we really ever saw much of it. Like, and, and maybe that's just a product at the time too. Like, I don't know that a lot of he does really have were, one. Even on ESPN yeah. today, like he's not that good. That's fair. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, but he has. I mean, so every everybody has a personality. Maybe it's a boring one um but you know yeah we never really knew who larry bird or magic johnson was but we knew that magic was charming charismatic we knew that larry was uh, you know white and and so it was easy to identify to him i guess but uh it's just interesting i don't know Uh, um you know scotty uh i always liked scotty the player i I just i I guess i never really knew scotty the person but that was fine too and uh and rodman he was just an yeah but you could
0: tell like how good he was like i was I couldn't oh, really yeah. see it. Like that, no, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that was the difference. Like, that's, I can appreciate Kawhi Leonard now, but I'm not going to sit here and think and just say that Kawhi Leonard is interesting or, like, gives you any. Like, I don't know anything about Kawhi Leonard, and he doesn't want you to know, and I don't appreciate him for that. Yeah, that's, but interesting. I appreciate that's a watching good comparison
1: because it's like, I mean, Kawhi is probably the player most like that. Like, we don't know anything about, and he still managed to excel as a player. He's won two championships, he's a, he's a great player on a Hall of Fame 10 year track here. And at the same time, it's he doesn't have a personality that we're familiar with. I wonder if are there kids growing up right now saying, "Oh man, I love Kawhi Leonard." Like that doesn't no, seem likely, not. right?
0: Nobody, nobody. I guarantee you, when we like fifteen years from now, when we see like when we're talking about you know the rookie class or whoever it is coming in, what was the player you idolized growing up? None of them are going to say Kawhi. They're not. None of them will. And it's not because Kawhi's not a great player; they just won't say it. They're going to say every. They're going to say like Luka Doncic and Trey Young and Steph Curry and whoever else they can remember, they're not going to say Kawhi. They're not. It's interesting. They're just not. Yeah, the, the, um, the game has changed. One thing before we get out of the segment, I would be remiss not to correct myself. I said Don Julio 1400. That doesn't exist. I meant Don Julio 14, 1942. My God. Um, I just I had to correct myself. I couldn't let it out and go. No, we play fair. One's Gotta Go next. This is Locked On NBA. One of the internet games that's become a popular pastime during the quarantine is One's Gotta Go. So we're going to play our own version here. David, let's start with you.
1: Oh, well, you know, keeping the Michael Jordan theme. And and they have not really been a central figure of the documentary up to this point. But just that uh, the trio of stiffs that would always wind up playing center alongside <laughs> Michael Jordan Luke Longley, Bill Weddington, or Will Perdue One's Gotta Go.
0: <laughs> Ooh. Uh, I won't do that to Bill Wennington because he or no was it who which one of them one of them got like, ripped apart in one of the first two episodes so I just like wouldn't do that to them right now I think uh, Purdue
1: Purdue was the one who was ripped apart he was the, okay, he was there so. for the first um, three-peat Wennington Longley were there for the last three-peat um, and, and that's uh, that's how I remember it anyway Wennington was the one uh, in the with the camera in the on the team flight
0: that's right. So Longley can go. Oh, wow. You see, yeah, of
1: all of them, he was the one who was most interesting because he was Australian. I don't know that that doesn't really mean much, but uh, he was a, no. a little he was <laughs> he a little more polished a player than uh, than than. He, I think he's
0: he he probably the best of all three no
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Although Purdue yeah. was a hell of a scorer uh, in his college days, but he it just wasn't the same as a professional.
0: I think Wellington's been good in the documentary, so I'm keeping him around. Um, nice. We haven't heard from Longley. I don't think at all.
1: Honestly. No, no, he has not. He, him. We saw Horace Grant for the first time yesterday. Yeah, he's good. We have not heard anything from uh, Tony Kukoc just yet. So those those uh, those things are coming later on. And I, I think I've seen already that Kukoc <laughs> would probably be focused on once they get to the the dream team in '92 and and how they kind of him and Scotty combined to eviscerate Kukoc in international play there. <laughs>
0: All right, my my one's got to go. Phil Jackson, mm. Greg Popovich, or Pat Riley.
1: Oh man, that 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 is tough because given what I just said about Phil Jackson <laughs> um, manipulating. People, I think I know. I, I mean, I, yeah, I think I know where you're like, going. With I, this. I like Pop. I've actually spoken to Pop, so it's a little different now. He's the one guy. Well, I've spoken to Riles, too, luckily enough. But but between Riley, wow. I uh which one's gotta go? I'm gonna I'm gonna send out Phil Jackson then to be honest with you. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm keeping okay. Ryles. I'm keeping Ryles just because of his connection to the heat and everything else. Although I don't know, I find Jackson to be a more entertaining personality, even if I'm not quite sure what that is, and it saying. seems like that changes a lot. Uh and and pop. I mean, I'd certainly like to drink wine and have fancy dinner with him anytime. But uh, Riley, I'm not sure that I could hang out listening to the Doobie Brothers for a prolonged period of time. Um, yeah, so I, I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna have to say Jackson. Though, although, I, no, you know what? Reluctantly, so. No, I, you know what? Sorry, Pat, you're out.
0: I mean, th- there goes. Oh my God! There goes my credentials. Yeah,
1: there goes my credentials. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> All
0: right. Sorry to put you in that position. All right, you're yeah, out. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. So. For a while there, even during Jordan's playing days, there was always the threat of the next Michael Jordan. Which one of these has mm. to go? Vince Carter, Grant Hill, if fully healthy, or Kobe Bryant?
0: Oh, this one's easy. Vince Carter, get the hell out of here. Woo! Done. <laughs> easy. Sorry, you had a two good years and you're legendary? Get out of here. Done. No way.
1: You know, it's just interesting. The, like, the, I, he's I, the I feel most. Like
0: no, he's, he is the most like he's the weirdest shoe in candidate for the Hall of Fame that has like the weakest resume.
1: Oh, without a doubt. Like, what, like, he, something about him like he, he's just overrated. I don't know if he, there's like a, a cultural appeal there that just didn't stick with me. I just never really saw what it was about Vince to people like he was a hell of a dunker, or maybe a good score. But I always, I mean, like him and Harold Miner have the same number of accomplishments. Both of them won the slam dunk contest. And that's about it.
0: Exactly, and he's going to get in on cultural appeal. And look, maybe they'll do a podcast on this, like we just did on Bill Simmons slash Ryan Rosillo's take. But I don't think Vince Carter's a Hall of Famer. I just don't think he is. You play twenty years, half of them are okay, two of them are good. You kind of and you never accomplished anything in the postseason. Sorry, you don't get in. You just don't get in. When you get to the when when the first thing you list as far as accomplishments goes is won a dunk contest. Derek Jones Jr. should be in the Hall of Fame then. Right. All right? Obviously. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm overreacting a little bit, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's no, Vince Carter, get out of here. Sorry, yeah. bud. Um, I've actually spoken to Vince Carter several times. He's a really nice guy, but you're not a Hall of Famer. Um, okay. Big three era Miami Heat role players. One's got to go. Chris Anderson. Okay. Shane Battier. Oh, who you just talked to for Lockdown Heat Mario Chalmers
1: Oh yeah. you really are putting me on the spot here this is this is really tough like i mean, I mean Chalmers for our our listeners of Lockdown NBA that have not heard us talking about Mario on Lockdown Heat i mean that is a mythic personality there that is a 10 Part documentary waiting to happen Mario Chalmers and the uh, the I would want there. I
0: want I want Mario Chalmers when when we do the the documentary on the 2013-14 heat. I don't want LeBron in the chair with the Don Julio and the cigar. I want Mario Chalmers in the chair. I want to hear how he dealt with it, all of it. That's that's the documentary.
1: I mean, an hour and a half of him talking about why he didn't get the ball enough and why they 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 could have gone to him more in 2014 and he would have beat the the you know, Spurs single handedly. Those are the kinds of things. He that retweeted. We need to see.
0: He retweeted some some chart the other day about how like. It was like the top three scoring trios in NBA history, and LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Mario Chalmers were like fourth or fifth or something. Yeah, I was like, you contributed like, you know, eight percent of that total points, (laughs) but he's like on the list. It's like one of those fake stats, and he's like, and he like he like captioned it "Good company" or something like that. It was phenomenal. (laughs) Like that's peak Mario Chalmers.
1: Yeah, he he still has no idea, and that's great. That's why we love him. I I mean. I remember talking about once, and I know I'm totally kind of uh, going off the rails here. I remember talking about like the, the era of music and the, and the aughts where there was always a local band and there was probably one called Mario fucking Chalmers just because that had become like his name. That's how everybody referred to him at some point over the course of his heat tenure was just his unwilling, his willingness to take shots, the things that he did on and off the court. It was just amazing. But anyway, as far as role players are concerned, I, I guess I got to kick off Birdman, like, even though he was such a eclectic personality, he was as much a spark during the twelve thirteen season as anybody else. I mean, Battier was a different kind of player as far as his contributions on the court, and he's still a part of the Heat now. I don't want to. I don't want to burn every bridge with the, the Heat front office, so I'm going to say Shane can stay. Chris Anderson has to go.
0: Fair enough. All right, that'll do it for us today. Remember to listen to and subscribe to Locked On NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you have some time, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. When you get done here, you can tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Rejecting the Screen. Thanks for listening, and please stay safe.